Hi, everyone. Good evening, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. I want to welcome my speakers for today. We have here with us the one and only and famous Kalu Aja. When you're talking about finances on Twitter, his name definitely comes top of mind. We also have here with us Ade Dayo. Ade Dayo is our COO at Money Africa and Lada. And we'll be breaking down what you know the new policy is about, what it means to us, and how we can actually navigate it in our personal finances and business finances. So I'm going to throw it open to you guys. Can you just introduce yourselves briefly? Kalu, I can read 10 pages talking about all your work over the years. But you just speak to us, introduce yourself. Adedayo, you also go afterwards. Thank you. Hey, Tosi, how are you doing? Adedayo, how are you guys doing? Uh, thank you for Tomoni Africa for the invite. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, my name is Kalu Aja. So I just want to introduce myself as a certified financial education instructor. We can't hear you, Kalu. Can everybody hear him? Please let me know if you can hear Kalu speak. Yeah, I can hear him. Oh, um, can you, uh, Dayo, can you hear me? Yes, Kalu, I can hear you. Kalu, I can hear you now. Excellent. So I just got stuff on the top, right? So thanks to Money Africa for the invite. Uh, my name is Kalu Aja. Um, I introduced myself as a certified education financial instructor. I'm also an author. That's what I do um, on my, in my gig. Yeah, have a day job, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. Adedaya, over to you. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Adedaya Bakari, and I'm CEO at Money Africa and Ladder. And um, I have a bit of background in financial services consulting. Um, investment research and asset management. Um, it's a pleasure to be here to, to speak on the recent policies of the CBN. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for, you know, the introduction. I also want to acknowledge everybody on this space. We really acknowledge you. Feel free to share with your friends, with your family. We have one of the two best people on this topic, on this space. So I'm going to be moderating, asking questions, and then we'll open it to you all. Kalu, please, can you just give us a brief introduction into what the recent policies are in layman terms and, you know, just explain to us what it means. We want to hear from you. Thank you. Gotcha, Tosia. My pleasure. So there, there are two main policies that have happened, both in the PMS, i.e. petrol and the dollar. Both of them have one central theme, right? There's a removal of the regulated price for these items. So both on the PMS side, we've taken away the peg, but on the dollar side, we've taken away the peg. What that means is that both, current, both commodities, the currency and the PMS, are now allowed to float. So on the currency side, you can see there's been a devaluation or it can appreciate because the peg has been removed, which means if you get an inflow of dollars, the Naira can gain strength. If dollars flow out through imports, the Naira will lose strength. That's essentially what's happened on the dollar side. On the PMS side, they've removed the peg, i.e. the retail pricing peg is off, which means if there's supply of PMS, same thing. The price of PMS will go down. If there's no supply of PMS, the price of PMS will go up. One unique thing about both is that they're both priced in dollars. The PMS is priced in from crude oil, which is priced in dollars. So everything is a dollar transaction. 
and both of them have got to do with demand and supply. That's where we are right now. So there's no more government peg on the dollar. There's no more government peg on the retail PMS. There's no more market-driven price based on the dollars and based on demand and supply. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. Adidai, do you want to add to this, please? Yeah, um, I just want to drive the points um, Carlo has made a bit home. Um, I'm sure that one of the things we're very familiar with in Nigeria is that um, prices can be very stable for a very long time. So if you think about oil prices, you know, you have a very long period of time, um, a lengthy time of stability, say, you know, 165, we had 165 for an extended period of time. If you think of the exchange rate, if you recall um, between 2017 and until COVID, you know, we had stability in the exchange rates. You know, we were buying a dollar at 360 Naira to $1 for three years. Now, when you think in terms of most of the transactions you do in your lives, right, um, you're paying electricity bill, you're paying rent, um, you're buying stuff. When you go to the marketplace, one thing you realize is that prices move quite frequently. You know, sometimes it goes up, sometimes it comes down. When you have a situation like that, then you say markets, um, prices are de determined by the market, meaning the interaction, you know, of buyers and suppliers, people who need it and want to buy it and people who have it and want to sell it. They are the ones that determine um, the price. So it's like, you know, you go to, to the market, you want to buy tomato for your jollof. You know, there's tomato scarcity right now. So it's expensive, you know, to buy tomatoes. But guess what? When it is in season, the price would eventually come down. And so that is what the policies we've seen recently um, with this new administration means, essentially. It means that um, the prices of things like petrol and things like um, the dollar, you know, at the end of the day, an exchange rate is a price as well. It is the price of buying $1 in Naira. That is what an exchange rate uh, um, is. So it means that it is going to change very frequently. So in situations where we've been so accustomed to, you know, um, having a constant exchange rate, now as an individual or as a business owner, you have to start thinking in terms of, you know, price movements. You know, it's likely to maybe go up, sometimes it comes down. And as an individual and as a business, what that means for you is, it means more risk, right? Um, but um, you learn to manage it, you learn to live with it, because over time, it could be better for the economy. I'm sure we'll go into that later on. Um, yeah, over to you, Tosin. Thank you so much for that breakdown, Adedaya. Carlo, I'm coming back to you. Now, do you think that the new exchange rate, right, I mean, I can't even call it a new exchange rate, like the whole impact of this policy. Do you think that it would encourage more investment and economic growth in Nigeria? Because now that we are saying, oh, um, we're going for a unified exchange rate or oh, we are going for this um, subsidy removal, what is the end goal? What is the purpose? How do we bring it back home to the regular average person? Why are they going to see this as an advantage or a disadvantage? Can you just help us break that down? Thank I, you. Gladly. So look at it this way, and I'll give you a real example, right? If you export cashew from Nigeria, the central bank has a policy that you must pay the dollars you earn when you export cashew to, say, Vietnam. You must pay it back to the central bank of Nigeria. So the central bank of Nigeria owns that dollars that when you export. But nobody does that. 
they've tried to sanction, they've tried to ban. Nobody exports and pays the dollars back to the Central Bank of Nigeria. Why? Because Central Bank of Nigeria will buy it from you at 463 naira to $1. But if you bring that money back into Nigeria and you take it to the quote-unquote aboki, you get at 700 naira. So it doesn't make any sense to lose 300 naira per dollar because you're sending it back to the Central Bank of Nigeria. So what has happened? Over the years, you've now seen Nigerians do international business. They get their dollars. They don't take it to the central bank in quote. They leave it in the domiciliary accounts. That's about 10 to 20 billion, with a B, billion, of dollars sitting in banks in Lagos and Abuja and Port Harcourt in dumb accounts. Why is it not with the CBN? Because CBN will buy at 463. When you look at the foreign reserves of Nigeria, that's where you see the 39, 40 billion. That's where it, it is. That's the money that the central bank uses to pay for imports. So you told me if you pay your Twitter fee or your Google fee, it's not really your money that is going to Google. You pay to your bank, your bank pays to CBN, CBN pays to the American bank. It has to go through the CBN. That's why when you see the airlines, saying they're not going to fly Nigeria routes anymore. You are paying for your ticket, but CBN isn't remitting that money in dollars back to the airline, so Emirates has pulled out. So what's this new policy now? The new policy says CBN is saying, we're going to allow you sell your dollars to the Nigerian banks at the price that the Nigerian bank would buy from you, which means there's no more 463. That NAFET rate is gone from CBN. There's only one rate, which is that price that you and your bank would negotiate so you sell your cashew you go to your bank and say bank i have one million dollars how much do you buy from me your bank buys it from you your bank then turns around and sells it to importers directly they don't have to go to cbn anymore so it's willing buyer willing seller when you do this what you're trying to do is to unlock not just the exporters but also the guys that have dumb accounts in Nigeria, sitting in Nigeria in the vaults, any nothing, it's just paper line in the vault. Those guys will not be incentivized to sell their dollars to the banks because you sell to the banks, you make a huge spread. Maybe you bought at 100, now it's 700. So the dollars would leave your vault to the, symbi- to the banks. And if it goes to the banks, now the banks can give it to the importers who can import when supply of dollars goes up, then the price of dollar falls. That's what they are targeting. They are targeting supply. What they did in the past was they targeted demand. Hence, they tried to reduce your demand by not letting your Naira cards work. So you remember in the past, we could go abroad with Naira card and spend dollars. They stopped all that because of our targeting demand. They've seen it's a silly policy. They now want to go back and target inflow. So even a Nigerian in Canada now knows that if he sends his mom $10, she gets 600 naira. We, people are going to say, yes, but using a black market trade, I hear you. But the investors use CBN rate. So if I want to buy a federal government bond, I can't use black market rate. I have to use CBN rate to get my capital importation. So long answer, the longer short is that, this allows supply, more supply of dollars to flow into Nigeria, which makes the dollar fall, which then makes the cost of imports fall, which then helps with employment and lower inflation. 
it's a better policy. It's a painful policy. It's way better than what you had in the past. I get the pain, but this is how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to have double rates where people can go to CB and get rates and sell. This is how it's supposed to be. So the pain is real, it's present, but this is better. This is how it's supposed to be. Wow. Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful way to explain it. Now, I've always heard people explain it, but nobody really talks about how, you know, money is just sitting down in people's dumb accounts. And just you explaining it that way, it makes perfect sense. And um, I also see where you are coming from, that it's actually a better policy. It is painful, but it is better. Adedaya, would you like to add some to it? Do you think this is a positive policy or not? Is there any other angle you want to explain this to our listeners that, you know, we can comprehend as well? Thank you. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think by now, um, so we're talking about two policies, right? Um, if we're looking at the, the, the false subsidy, that's obviously very painful um, for everybody. It's going to, you know, increase transportation costs, energy costs, basically. Um, and also it means that, you know, you need to probably tighten your belt a bit because it's going to be very, very difficult um inflation is very terrible you know price increases are very damaging especially in an environment where incomes are not improving right so from a personal finance perspective you probably have to ask your employer for more money right um if you're self-employed that might be a bit difficult right you have to find a way to maybe you know just sell more to ensure that you're able to pay yourself more but in terms of the FX, right, a lot of us are already accustomed to the madness in the FX markets. Um, you know, Naira has been trading at below 500 officially, right, for, um, for the longest time now. But we really do transactions at that rate, right? Um, most of the dollars you're buying, whether you want to use it for transactions or whatever, um, you typically go to the parallel market to get it. So by parallel market, I mean the BDCs, um, and even peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, that's the parallel market. Peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, be it keys or sitting under trees or in markets, um, you know, any market that is not just formal, formally recognized by the CBN or banks don't trade in, that's the parallel market. So that's where we do our transactions. And a lot of businesses are doing transactions at that rate as well, the parallel market rates. Right. Um, even manufacturers, you know, who you would think would have access to the CBN exchange rate, majority of them don't do transactions at that rate. At some point, Nestle, Nestle is one of the biggest, you know, consumer goods companies in Nigeria. I think it's the most valuable on the Nigerian stock exchange. They were getting only about, I think, 15% of their FX needs from the CBN. So, you know, that just shows um, sort of the policy environment we had, you know, prior to the um, to this current administration. Now, one thing that is also important is the fact that you know it's good, right? It doesn't also mean that it's a silver bullet, right? Um, it's just something we should have done, right? This is normal, like Carlo said. Um, it's something we should have done um, normally. Now, the question you want to ask is who are benefiting from the prior exchange rate at 460, right? 
um, the gov government transactions were in that CBN rate, right? And one of the things you also want to recognize why it is important for the government to do it is that the federal government is currently broke, right? Um, they are spending much more than they are collecting in taxes every year, which means they are borrowing an, at an aggressive pace. And it's unsustainable. You can't keep borrowing forever, you know, to fund, um, to fund everything you have to do. Think about it as an individual. You know, you have to earn income, right? Most of us cannot afford to say we are spending more than we earn every month. Like, where will the money come from, right? But because the government, the federal government in this case is a sovereign, they have the power to print the currency. They try as much as possible to borrow, um, you know, as much as they can. But at some point, it becomes, you know, very unsustainable. So one of the um, very first benefits of this policy is rather than the federal government exchanging its revenues. Remember, the government, the government of Nigeria earns dollar revenues via the exportation of oil. So for every dollar they were earning before, they were exchanging it um, at. 460 rather than 750. So, um, and, and the question you want to ask yourself is, you know, obviously that is automatically a subsidy um, because if you're selling your dollar at 460 instead of 750, then you'll be asking, it's almost a 300 naira difference, right? Now, who should benefit from this revenue? It is people, citizens of Nigeria, right? If government earns revenues, they can provide social goods, right? Um, if you are, you know, suffering from revenue losses due to exchange rate differences, then it's a very, very big problem. And that's, with these new policies, it means government revenue can go up a bit. So they have a, a bit of breathing room, right? Um, now, why I said it's not a silver bullet, even though it's very good, is number one, um, it's still very early days, right? We've seen reforms in the past that have only been partially implemented. So you want to see a situation where um, over time, we want to see the commitment of the new government, right, and the CBN to this, you know, sort of arrangement. Um, and when you are able to see that, you know, it's able to maybe last for a, long, a bit of a longer period of time, then, you know, it starts to make sense and we can start seeing the benefits. But like we know in Nigeria, they can do all these adjustments. And if later on they reverse it, then it means that we are back to where we started. Number two, it is very painful now, but it's actually going to be less painful in the future. Um, and what I mean by this, what I mean is this. In Nigeria, we're used to making very sharp adjustments, right? You have once, if I take us back to 2014, remember, we started at 155 Naira to a dollar, right? And then um, one year later, you know, you have 197 officially. And it's already doing 250 in the parallel market. Two years later, you have over 300. You know, um, between 2020 and now, we moved from 360 to 750. That sort of adjustment is too rapid, right? And it is damaging for a lot of business. Imagine you've been, you know, um, all your projections in terms of your personal life and for your business, you're basing it on a 360 exchange rate and you wake up one day, you know, um, the exchange rate has jumped to like 500 or 600. The same thing with for the removal of false subsidy. You're at 185, and you're listening to the inaugural speech of the president, and suddenly it jumps to 500, right? Um, so it's a big problem. And so what this new system means is over time, 
the changes or the adjustments you're seeing in these prices will be very gradual. And if it's very gradual, it means that you're reorienting people. People, you know, businesses and individuals now start to start thinking that, okay, you know, dollar moves or the exchange rate moves, the price of oil moves. We're used to it now. You know, you buy kerosene, the price moves. You buy gas, the price is moving, right? Um, so people will learn to think around that. And that means they can plan better, right? And it also means that the sort of sharp adjustments we have where people, in economic terms, they call it a shock because that's what it means. If you wake up one day and the price of an item, a very essential item for a lot of households, jump by more than 200%, then, you know, it's a big shock um, that's going to affect you. But it means that over time, we're able to learn that you can plan around these shocks and that you can edge. So that's one of the things we don't do enough of in Nigeria, whether as individuals or, you know, as businesses. We need to learn to... to we need to learn that you know prices moves, and when prices are moving, if you're um, if you want to ensure that your finances are a bit more predictable and stable, stable, um, you want to ensure that you edge that risk. I mean, we have health insurance, right? You're edging against the risk that you could have a medical emergency, and you might your financial situation might you know be bad at a point where you need it. So it's unpredictable. So you edge it because of that you buy motor vehicle insurance because anything can happen, right? So you hedge that risk. And that is what people need to start doing when it comes to doing international transactions in dollars. And for core subsidy, it means that we also become smart with energy consumption, right? One of the things that people don't know is human beings are, you know, are very smart, right? And the economy functions on the basis that human beings are very smart. Um, there was a period in time where, you know, oil prices, to produce a $100 worth of output, people were using a lot of oil in their production process. But because the prices of oil started increasing a lot, and, you know, countries like Nigeria benefited, majority of the world who were net importers of oil, people who import oil, because it was very expensive, they started being, I mean, they started uh, um, of, you know, creating new technologies that ensured that the consumption um, of energy reduced per output. So we're at a situation where today, you know, with just very small energy uh, um, input, you're producing much more output. That is what they call productivity, right? So it, this changes also means that over time, you know, we become smarter, we become more productive as businesses um, and as individuals. But yes, it's going to be extremely painful um, in the short term. Thank you so much for that contribution, Adedayo. Kalu, I'm coming back to you. You know, we've spoken a lot about, you know, it's going to be painful, it's necessary, we should have done it since. But my question now to you is, are there any specific areas of the Nigerian economy or sectors that you believe will be most affected by this devaluation of the Naira or the unification of the Naira? Which sectors do you think would benefit more? Which sector do you think would be affected more? Can you just help us break that down? Thank you. Yeah, so let's say let's do the positive first. Who will benefit? If you are an exporter, you're clearly going to benefit. So any company in Nigeria that does exports is going to benefit. Any company that does imports it's going to lose out, right? And remember, imports is if you go to school abroad, if you go to hospital abroad, that's also imports, right? If you export cars, you export CDs, you export hair, you export anything from Nigeria, 
good will be good for you. Specifically, let's talk about where it's going to be bad if food in Nigeria is imported. Food is imported simply because our product, our logistics inside Nigeria are not as good as are not as efficient as it should be. So it's cheaper to bring in food from Europe than to take food from Kebi to Lagos. That's a, that's a crazy start. But the man uh, DJ yesterday said, I heard him on TV saying that <clears throat> you can bring in a container from Singapore to Lagos and it's cheaper than taking that container from Lagos Apapa, to Agbara. So the internal efficiencies are just not, they're not good in Nigeria. So it's cheaper to actually import food because food is made cheaper abroad than to grow food in Nigeria. So food is going to go up and food is almost 68% of households spend in Nigeria, right? Food is also 51% of inflation in Nigeria. So that's going to go up of CPI, which drives inflation in Nigeria. So that's going to go up. Food will go up. Petrol, PMS is priced in USD, i.e. crude oil. It's priced in U.S. dollars, and we get petrol from U.S. dollars. So I see petrol also going up. If you take food and petrol, you are talking nearly of 70% of a household budget of the average Nigerian. So that just encompasses everything you need to know about, right? Your rent, your landlord has got to pay fees, so it's going to take your rent up. Your school, your teacher has got to pay her fees, so it's going to take your, your fees up. So overall, the price level in Nigeria, Tosi, I'm sorry, is going to go up for everybody. Inflation might not go up, but everyone's going to see an increase in prices because we're paying more for fuel, we're paying more for imports. So the response should be that in the short term, right, the government should cover the gap between what we are seeing as a reality and then the gains that are going to come later on. That's why you want to have the quote-unquote palliative that should stand in the gap between current realities and future benefits. It can be something that can be done immediately and can go across to everyone. It's going to be like a reduction in the import duty of food. If you give everybody, if you open up the borders and you ask folks to import food without paying duty and then you crash the price of food, that could be a sort of a palliative or so to Nigerians. You're going to argue that we're going to kill local farmers, but local farmers can meet demand. So targeted things like this, maybe cancel personal income tax for the year 2023. It's radical, but at least you release some inflow to Nigerians to be able to pay their bills. This is going to be a 6 to 12 month change from where we are to where we want to be. And within that time, the government has got to take the pain off. So if you want to do the investment, like Tony is asking, if you want to invest, look at your, body, your, your, your stock market. Which companies export? Presco, all those kind of guys that export palm oil. They're going to make more money, right? Which companies import? Those are going to lose money. That's how you want to look at it. But keep in mind that because the dollar is unpegged, if the inflow starts to come, the dollar will lose value and those companies that are also importing might not lose as much value as you think. What I'm saying is that Dangote, for instance, can get more dollars for his cement business cheaper. Same thing with Boa, same thing with Nestle. They might be able to get more for their revenue, for their business. Emirates has gone. They might come back. So cost of travel falls. 
So it's really down to how quickly Nigerian government can convince these investors to begin to send back inflow of dollars to Nigeria. That's really the trigger in Nigeria. Watch the foreign reserves. Watch if Emirates comes back. These are your two triggers. If Emirates comes back, you know the policy is working. If they don't come back, that means people are just watching to see what's going to happen. So that's really the summary. I don't know if I've answered it, but that's how I view it. Wow, that's very interesting insight. I really love that idea talking about food because at the end of the day, people have to eat, right? And if you're talking about, you know, maybe we take out the import tariffs, um, open the borders. And I also hear your argument for local farmers. How does that affect them in the long run? Because agriculture forms about 24% of our GDP, right? So they're also thinking about how to protect that. But those are very insightful, um, insightful and also practical steps that we can actually take. I'm hoping that, you know, the policymakers are actually listening and, you know, thinking of how to provide reprieve for the people. Adida, I'm going to come back to you now. We've had this argument talking about how it's going to be a painful ride for the next six or 12 months. What advice do you have for individuals and also businesses? What do you think we can do differently? What, how can we, you know, navigate this really tough times? Now, remember, we have two ways to look at it. There are things outside our control. And there are things within our control. So for the things that is within the control, I mean, I can't change inflation rates. I mean, I can't beg them to open the borders. But the things that are within our control, what do you think we can do? Thank you. Okay. Um, thanks, Susan. Before I answer that, I just want to speak to some of the things that Carly mentioned. Um, you know, when we talk about imports in Nigeria, it's a very sensitive conversation. Um, and I just want to show people the other side um, of the entire thing. Um, imports, yes, you know, when the exchange rate weakens, right? Um, if you're importing, it becomes more expensive, right? But the fact that imports become more expensive does not mean, um, you know, it's a bad thing. It does not mean it's going to be damaging. And I'm going to give you an instance. Um, in Nigeria, for instance, in Nigeria, there's a particular um, wheat, right? We don't produce wheat. I think we do, but we are bad at producing it, right? Our climate does not even um, sort of support the production of wheat very, very well. And we know that wheat is one of the most essential inputs, right, in the consumer goods industry. Um, so in almost all, you know, um, most of the things you buy that has an element of flour, right? It's wheat, and we're importing our wheat from Europe, right? And so automatically it means if the Naira weakens, um, that will become more expensive, right? However, the other thing to note also is there are a lot of businesses who won't be able to run the organizations without imports, right? Um, so whether you're thinking, you know, Unilever, PZ, um, Nestle, they actually rely on imports to ensure that they actually produce. Um, so imports are valuable because there's no way you want to produce more. To produce more, you have to import more. China, everybody likes China, right? China is the factory of the world. You know, they produce all the things you use, they export it. But they are also one of the largest importers in the world. Why? Because you, have to imp you don't have all that resource endowments within your country. Right? And you want to ensure that you import your hard imputes, you, put, you, you know, create value out of it. 
And so um, there's still a lot of value production. I mean, sorry, a lot of value creation tried to import, tied to imports in Nigeria from, you know, most of your favorite companies. So it is important that, um, yes, imports will be more expensive, but, you know, what we want to focus on is to create value out of those imports. It will even be excellent, you know, if you can import and then, you know, transform it and then export later on, it becomes, um, you know, sort of um, um, better. Um, right. So now I'll go into um, what Tosin mentioned, which is things outside um, or things within our control. I think as an individual, right, um, I was in a session um, last week um, and I was talking to these people and everybody was so worried, you know, um, what's going to happen. And what we always say as much as possible, even our money Africa is, you know, as an individual to grow, we say, you know, if you're earning income, you need to save, you know, it's, if you save, you accumulate assets, you know, and you can, you know, create wealth for yourself in the future. But this is going to be very hard currently because your budget, you know, if you have to go to work, transportation, and then I see some companies, they say they are doing remote work. And I'm like, people will still have to buy for right? And it's still very expensive. So in almost all directions, whether you're going to work every day, whether you're using public transportation or private, whether you're working at home, um, everybody is battling a cost of living um, increase. Now, what you can do is, as an individual, you have to just be realistic, right? Um, if your income is not going up, the question then becomes, what are the avenues, you know, to raise my incomes, right? Go and fight your HR um, or your CEO or something and ask them um, for salary adjustments. Um, at Money Africa, we are making salary adjustments too, right? Um, so you just have to, I, I believe that everybody, um, you know, both business managers and you know, I'm sure we'll have some employers on in, in this space as well. It's just like something you have to realize that everybody needs to bear the pain, right? So salaries will go up. Now, the salaries might not go up to compensate you for the increase in your expenses, but at least it will provide some, re, you know, some reprieve. Um, so there's that. Um, this is not a time to, you know, be shy or anything. Demand for more, right? Um, if you're not getting more, uh, maybe look for more opportunities, right, um, to earn more. Um, then now what is within your control, right? You know, getting a salary increase, we can't say it's 100% within your control, right? You can go and talk, and if the organization is struggling, there's nothing they will do at the end of the day. So the other level available to you is whether to look for a new job, and that might take some time. But what is within your control also to an extent, not completely, is expenses, right? Now, when it comes to your expenses, some expenses are discretionary, right? Um, some are not, right? Every month, you know that there are some things you have to do, right? If you're saving for your rent, you have to do that. If you're paying for electricity, you have to do that. If you're sending money to whether you have siblings or you know, dependents, you have kids, you know you need to buy all these things. Now, the, what you want to target is more, you know, discretionary expenses and to see, you know, where you can make some adjustments until, again, you know, no condition is permanent, right? Um, you make some adjustments until you're able to get sort of the salary increase you want or the upgrade 
or until there's a bit of ease, maybe government, um, like Carly said, you know, there's so many levers the government could pull to ensure that things are a bit easier for people, right? Um, on rice, for instance, the tariff on rice, I think, is as high as 70%. Right? There's no reason why the tariff should be that high. The tariff on wheat is extremely high, right? Wheat is one of the items that are not valid for forex. And we know that it's a major determinant of food prices. So there's actually a lot of things the government can do um, if they want to be serious about, you know, making lives, uh, making, you know, these adjustments a bit better for people. But in your own cap capacity, you want to make those adjustments. Now, if you're um, a business owner, right, um, again, you have to both also look at, you know, sort of the opportunities and also some of the near-term challenges you're going to face. The near-term challenges are that, you know, automatically wages have to go up, right, um, as much as possible. Because, again, you need to care about um, sort of the stuff you have. So wages have to go up. Um, also, you want to think in terms of your exposure to the current currency environment, right? Um, are you, you know, hugely dependent on things like petrol? Um, if you're a small business, you're probably very dependent on petrol, right? So you might want to start exploring um, if there are other ways to ensure that you, you reduce energy consumption for your business. I think a lot of corporates have done that pretty well. You know, you're using diesel. Diesel has been deregulated for a long time. The prices move up and down. And I'm sure that people who live in estates, um, you know, all the fancy estates in Lagos and Abuja where um, it's serviced, I mean, they faced a lot of challenges, I think, early last year or towards the end of 2021, where diesel prices went up very um, aggressively and the price they were paying for power went up. But they would also tell you that it has come down considerably right now. Um, so you want to ensure that you manage your energy consumption. You want to ensure also that, um, you know, you drive growth as much as possible because if you're... You run a business and expenses are growing and income is not growing. Obviously, it means that um, your profitability um, would decline over time. You become less attractive to investors. Your business is not very sound. Um, so you want to ensure that um, you're able to manage that completely. Also, you want to look at your value chain. You know, what are the efficiencies? You know, if you were paying, maybe you were sourcing supplies before with no credits. Maybe you want to go and talk to your supplier and be like, you know, um, can I can I get some reprieve? Right? Which is why I like a lot of um, you know social media, media businesses. You know, they tell you to pay upfront, right, before they deliver the service. That way, they're able to use the money you're giving to them to like actually handle the production um, of what you're buying. So that's one of the things you want to um, explore as well. You also want to manage your exposure to these risks. That over time, you know, if you're currently heavily affected by what is going on, the question then becomes, how do I ensure that um, over time, my business is more resilient to these kind of shocks? So if you have um, exchange rate liabilities, I mean, sorry, dollar liabilities, right, then it means that exchange rate weaknesses would affect your business a lot. So you are thinking, how do I manage? So it's not the case that you have to not import at all. Sometimes you have to maybe reduce your import and search for local alternatives. Dangote did it, right? There was a time Dangote used to, Dangote cement now, it used to, so it used to use gas to run its factories, right? So most of his factories were gas powered, 
Now, gas has one of the problems, you know, just even forget the, the price of gas. One problem with gas production and supply in Nigeria is also that insecurity in the Niger Delta affects it. So there was a time that you had this whole crisis with the Niger Delta Avengers. And Dangote saw that, you know, this is not making any sense. I have to de-risk my business from the Niger Delta. And guess what they did? All the factories that were gas powered, they had to transform it into being coal powered, right? So they were now using coal rather than gas. Then in addition to that, they used to import coal. And Dangote also said, you know, this is not making sense. The frequent exchange rate adjustments is making it more expensive to produce cement. What did they do? Nigeria is rich in coal. Dangote Industries Limited, I think the parent company, started mining the coal locally. And so because of that, a lot of the value chain that was external and that was outside their control, they've been able you know, to sort of bring it more into their control. Some will call it you know, backward integration and all that. So, I mean, that's the way you think. You have to think in the country that you're based in. And Dangote is one very practical person based on his businesses, right? Even on his own personal investments. He used to hold a lot of Naira. Now, you know, his, business, his businesses are now more diversified. Um, and I think that is instructive. And this is Dangote that enjoys a lot of support, right, from the government. So how much more ordinary individuals and ordinary businesses who are trying to survive? Um, so you need to really just recognize areas where um, you can be more efficient. It can be very, very difficult, but you can do it. Nestle used to import a lot. When all this extraordinary crisis started happening, they started doing backward integration as well. They started producing some of these things um, um, locally. In fact, they were um, in situations where maybe you, know, you need to, to get maize right and if you're using local farmers you know that a lot of local farmers are unreliable in terms of the quantity you would want to get in terms of the quality they might be unreliable as well and one of the things they did was to um have you know this program for farmers who were within their own supply chain and they also ensured that they boosted yields you know they made it easy for the farmers to ensure that you know if you're plant planting an hectare of you know, for maize, you they did it such that you were able to get two times the normal output you were getting in the past. So that's just one of the um, very creative areas that businesses are, um, are doing, you know, some of the creative things that businesses are doing. As individuals, it's the same thing, tighten your belts, continue to invest in yourself, uh, because again, remember, um, you can reduce the budget for, you know, your parties and all that. I'm not saying don't party, um, reduce the budget a bit. Um, you can, you know, continue to invest in yourself. I think that's what I always tell to people. At the end of the day, whether these policies work or not, whether the government remains committed to it or not, it's outside your control. What is in your control is yourself. So continue to believe in yourself, continue to invest in yourself. Um, and then um, I think that's the major advice I can give to anybody really as an individual in Nigeria. Just believe in yourself, die. You know, and invest in yourself. <laughs> so that's um, yes, things will get more difficult before they get better. There is no guarantee that it's going to get better. So please, thank you. All right, great. Thank you so much, Adedayo. I was looking through the comment section of this um, of this um, Twitter live session, and someone said something that they do not agree with the speaker speaking about things are going to get bad before they get better. That it's been a downward scale for a while now. Things never get 
and I understand the sentiment because um, it's it's not a story that we are telling people. It's actually people's lived experiences. It's what we've seen that has happened over the years. So the truth is, um, it will take a while for people to actually, you know, I mean, it's up really up to the policymakers right now to prove people wrong and show that they are tired of hearing that it's going to get bad before it gets better. They actually want to see it get better. So I'm going to open up the space for us to ask questions. We have another 12 minutes. Carlo has been exceptional. Dio has been very great. And then we just want to get questions from the crowd. Please feel free to, you know, put your hands up and I'll, you know, um, bring you up to ask your question. Thank you. Oh, we bet you can go ahead. We've made you a speaker. All right. Um, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Um, uh, it's it's so nice to be on on this space again. I've I've once had the opportunity of speaking with Mr. Carlo before. A quick question I just wanted to ask is because I'm I'm, I'm kind of confused. I would have thought that uh, I I'm confused why the 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 ban on the importation of, of of rice and some other products that we produce in Nigeria did not work, uh, because in in other countries, um, from historical um st stories to anecdotes, if you, if you like, um, the Asian countries, they stopped importation of of certain products, invested in themselves, and then they were able to produce um those products, and then even became exporters i'm just asking basically why do you think specifically it did not work in nigeria like um i would like if possible um specific reasons why it didn't work in nigeria well thank you all right carly go ahead i think the answer is that it's working but that's the and that's the problem that it's working it hasn't worked right we've not gotten to a point where our rice output can match our population growth. Nigerians are having more babies than they are producing rice paddy. That's the situation. So if you look in Lagos, we have a massive um, rice milling mill there. If you look at Ola, I mean, um, in Nasarawa, you go to Kano, everywhere you look, um, Anambra, Ebonyi, there are rice mills that are converting paddy to rice that we can eat but we are simply too many people in nigeria 200 million so perhaps we didn't invest enough we didn't invest better and again don't deny the fact that we've had internal bandits and terrorists that are literally killing farmers that are out there farming that has been one of the greatest shocks you know like they've put a, a damper on any internal agricultural practice to mechanize you know, the whole um, Jewish agriculture in, in the middle belt of Nigeria. But the main thing I think, again, is that even when we have tried, agriculture in Nigeria is still done by sweat and rainfall, right? We're not really mechanizing. We don't have a lot of fertilizer. Uh, Dangote fertilizer is the largest in, should we say, in the world or Sub-Saharan Africa, but still, fertilizer prices in Nigeria are very expensive. When we get the harvest, we don't store it, so it, it disappears after a few months. 
So the, the Asians, look at the, if you compare Nigeria and Thailand, I'll give you a good example. Nigeria makes more cassava than Thailand, but Thailand exports more, more ethanol, i.e. from cassava, than Nigeria. So what's the difference you can see in mechanization, bringing tech into agriculture, not just doing the agriculture. That's where we have really failed. We've not kept pace. Our yields are very, very low. No support from the banks. No lot of support from the from the government. It's still very, very subsistence, subsistence agriculture in Nigeria. Uh, sorry, I'm done. Sorry. Justin, are you speaking? So I'm saying that. Thank you so much, Carly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can we have Sinzu go up, please? All right. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> uh, my name is Tokwe. Um, basically, my question is around two things, right? The first thing is the current macroeconomic policies for business owners. Um, at the moment, there are two, there are two considerations in every board. Reduce costs slash aka layoff or increase revenue slash reduce your pricing. At the moment, purchasing power is dwindling. The middle income class is shrinking. Um, FX volatility um, and all these other macroeconomic efforts, inflation, food inflation, every other thing, is not giving a good um, it's not giving a great response to any business owner. It's giving hard palpitations. Um, if you were basically in the economic team today advising the president and had their errors, and you were advising them around strategic um, steps that could help alleviate the fears of businesses, especially right now where um, we are seeing electricity tariffs going to be going up by 40%. We are seeing and hearing transport costs going up, diesel costs on VAT going up, and every other, literally everything, every cost of living expenses is going up, which is going to tie back to the people who work for business owners. It's going to still then tie back to their cash flow. Um, at the end of the day, it means businesses are going to have to spend two or three X, whatever they are currently spending in terms of OPEX. What would you be thinking of um, in terms of alleviating this issue um, from a macro and microeconomic standpoint? Um, then second, um, is there any, like I know these are followed by tried and trusted methods for when we look at issues from India and say maybe, um, Dubai, who did this in the earliest times of pain? What was the timeline in terms of length from the time we started education to when there was a breakthrough? Uh, do you have that kind of sense um, to guide people, especially business owners, in their planning um, for the year? Thank you. Am I taking that person? Either of you can take it. Anyone, anyone, either Kali or Dai, anyone of you can take it. Okay. Um, 
so for for businesses i think right what government can do is really set up set more businesses up for success right and that means ensuring that um the business environment is just easier for them an example is taxes right i'm not a, i'm not a tax, tax expert but i know that we have so many taxes in nigeria that you know companies are paying managing the payment of those taxes you know alone is a nightmare now having to pay it also is very difficult um, because we suffer from a situation in nigeria where the informal economy is very large but businesses in those informal economies are very hard to track and tax them while you know the few businesses who are in the tax net in the formal economy there's a lot of extraction happening you know government just extracts and extracts and extracts um, from them so like a short-term win would be to ensure that you know you review a lot of these taxes right um, now this is a bit difficult right and i'm going to tell you it's difficult because you have state government taxes you have federal government taxes and trust me there is no collaboration between them so i guess um, if any government that wants businesses to thrive in their domain you just have to ensure that you know federal taxes they are paying is a bit harmonized, right? Um, at the state level, also you want to ensure that these taxes are harmonized, and that in the way that you structure the taxes that you um, that you levy on businesses, you're you know considerate of the kind of businesses they're doing, you're considerate of the maturity of the business. You know you can't um, um, tax large businesses the same way you you tax small businesses. You also want to ensure that a lot of the benefits, you know, when it comes to taxes, a lot of the incentives the government gives has gone to very large institutions. Like everybody knows of the Dangote case, right? Um, and this is not just Dangote, right? Um, it's a lot of other businesses who benefit from a lot of tax breaks. Um, and so one of the things you want to ensure also is um, ensure that a lot of these big businesses who have the capacity to pay taxes, ensure that they pay their fair share of taxes so that you reduce the burden on, on small businesses. Now, I'm not saying the government should start hounding businesses, you know, like they did to MTN and, and the rest. But yeah, just make it more sensible, right? And ensure that businesses have, um, you know, a conducive environment to operate. Um, the, the exchange policy, the FX policy is one area like that, you know, where businesses need FX, right? So if they need FX, you have to ensure that they get FX. It's really that simple. That's one of the things the reforms um, is trying to achieve, and that must um, be there. Now, one thing businesses also have to recognize is the government is desperate. I don't know if anybody has said it. I, I always warned that ahead of the you know elections, if you win that election, you're going to be very unpopular in Nigeria, even if you are popular. If you are not popular, you know, like the current government, it's going to be worse. It. Um, why? Because the government is very broke, right? So when we're talking about, oh, government should give people tax breaks, give people more subsidies, the truth is they can't even afford it. They are now being very practical, you know, trying to raise revenues, um, removing false subsidies, harmonizing the exchange rate because, not because they think it's a sensible policy, but because they have no choice, right? That's what is going on at the moment. And that is why um, the best thing the government can do is to ensure that, you know, communication is right. They've, they've been very terrible with that. 
policymakers are generally very terrible with communication in Nigeria. So I think the government needs to assure, you know, people, not just even businesses now, people, businesses, um, come up with a coherent plan, right, that would ensure that um, they can do business better. If they do business better, you can tax the business they're doing and um, end some form of revenue. So for me, I think it's just business environment um, improvements that you can really, really do um, for businesses at this point, right? As a business, um, I'm not an expert in, you know, businesses have, they operate in different sectors. Uh, I'm not sure I can, you know, sort of tell them financial advice, the financial advice on, on that. The truth is, if you have to lay off staff, then you have to, right? Um, if you have the room, you know, to support, um, you know, if you don't have to lay off staff, then, you know, you ordinarily, you know, you don't have to lay off staff, um, you know, before you become Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. Um, but if you have to, the truth is, you have to really, and that's one of the consequences of these policies. It means it's going to be so painful that some people might lose their jobs, right? Um, but as a business, what you want to ensure is the survival. You know, you want to ensure that your business survives and that you do well by all the stakeholders. So even not just uh, um, shareholders now, but also your staff, right? You're not helping any staff if your business fails, you know, after six months or in the next 12 months. So you have to just be practical, lay off if you have to lay off. If you need to attract investment, the good thing is the environment is a bit exciting to everybody now. Local investors are a bit excited. Foreign investors are a bit excited. So, you know, that could offer some reprieve. You know, if investors come back into the economy because the reforms we are undertaking gets better, then it also means that, you know, within the next six to 12 months, um, businesses can actually start to see some benefits in terms of, you know, um, say, um, more investment or, you know, cheaper access to capital, which could support and ease their cash flow problems. Thank you so much, Daya, for that. Mo, please, I'd like for you to come on stage, you know, ask your questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tosin. Uh, can you hear me okay? We can hear you perfectly well, Mo. Okay, so, con uh, I mean, I, I want to say congratulations to, I mean, the whole Money Africa team for putting this together. As you guys know, you, you know, I'm a big fan of what you do. So thank you so much for this conversation. This this has been great so far. Um, so well done, Tosin. Well done, Dio. Well done to everybody on the Money thank Africa team. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. So I have a I have a question, like, just concerning on the day-to-day. -day. And the reason I ask that is because... Um, as a, as a traveler, mostly, right, I've been to a lot of economies that have been on the verge of collapse or either are rebuilding from collapse. And then I just see the impact on the day-to-day -day of people, right? And as much as we look at monetary policies and then it seems like, oh, you know what, these things are like far-fetched and all of that. But what really happens is that it affects people on a day-to-day. -day. I'll give an example. In Lebanon, for instance, I basically wasn't well i'm always in lebanon but the last time i was in lebanon a friend of mine was trying to get tampons and she told me she said oh you know what i can't find tamp tampons on any of the shelves right and then i said um that's weird but then i looked into it and then i found out that the reason why tampons were not on the shelves was because there was a very high import duty on tampons and then the government did not subsidize that so again this is like on a day-to-day -day how it affects people so one of the things i'm wondering though is 
we like to think about Nigeria as an exception. Maybe this thing is happening in Nigeria and it's only happening in Nigeria, right? It has never happened in Nigeria before, which I doubt, or there's no economy that is similar to Nigeria. And I think somebody kind of like raised this point before, but my question is really targeting that. Are there examples from around the world that we can draw from and say, you know what, this particular economy was at this particular point in time where Nigeria is right now. And then we can draw lessons learned and say, okay, you know what, this is what it means for the day to day. Because right now we're having these conversations and you, you know, it seems like, oh, you know what, this thing is on a high level but I do feel like at the end of the day, right, it affects people in the most minute way on, on their daily, in, in their daily lives. And not everybody can make the adjustments that need to be made immediately, right? But are there any lessons that we can learn from similar um, placed economies? So that's kind of like my, my general question. Thank you, Mo. Kalu, over to you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um... And it's good she mentioned, um, hi Mo, uh, it's good you mentioned, uh, hi, hi. <laughs> good you mentioned Lebanon. So what, let, let's talk about Lebanon first and I'll give you an example you can draw a line from. So what happened in Lebanon? Uh, the government had a peg, but in this case it was a peg where they pegged the Lebanese currency to the dollar. But the economy wasn't as good as, good as the US dollar. So they tried to keep that, you could use one dollar for one Lebanon. For instance, one Lebanese currency gives you one dollar which was like the what we're trying to do in Nigeria as well. And they tried to maintain it to a lot. So you could import into Lebanon, you could have the dollar, no problems, till they could not. Once they removed that peg, then the real economy came crashing down. You then see all that issues you're talking about. They can't afford imports, which is what's going on in Lebanon. Because they had this artificial, strong Lebanese currency to allow them to trade with the West based off remittances. Once the economy crashed, remittances also crashed. This was a bank-led failure in Lebanon. Their banks sort of failed, and the currency evaporated, and then the, now you don't see the economy. They can't pay, like you said, they can't pay for tampons to come into Lebanon. That's where Nigeria is heading to if we had not done the changes. And Nigeria has been here before. In the 1980s, we had the crude oil boom in Nigeria, where we were importing everything. We had the cement armadas who were importing everything. That's why you see Nigeria saying the good old days, uh, geisha was one kobo, milk was 10 kobo. All those things were imported. I grew up in, with Leventis. Everything we ate was imported because we could afford it. One naira was like four, one, $4 was, four naira was like $1. We could afford it, right? But once we had the oil prices crash, we could no longer afford imports. We became broke. We were so broke in Nigeria. Ask, ask your parents. Nigerians would line up to buy sugar and milk. They call it essential commodities. The same thing happened in Lebanon, where we could no longer afford to pay for imports. So then you would go line up to buy sugar, uh, buy, um, buy essential commodities. I remember going to school. And after school, we wouldn't go home. We'd have to go line up, like in Soviet, in the Soviet Union, to buy sugar in a store. And you had to have a voucher. The government would give you a voucher. You go to that store to buy sugar. This happened in Nigeria in the 1980s. Ask your parents, right? So that's something that happened in Lebanon. Happened in Nigeria. Why? Because you have this artificial currency that is backed up by a commodity, a resource, or remittances. 
that then suddenly crashes. So let's go to your question. What country has been in this part where Lebanon and Nigeria has been in? And has sort of transformed itself. Like, look at um, Ethiopia. Ethiopia was ruled by communists. This is not socialist, communist. Mengistu, that guy that killed the emperor. He came in, everything was government, communist, socialism. They put their currency, you know, Soviet Union-style Marxist. Everything was Marxist. And what happened? The economy basically went into the stone ages. They had a famine. People were dying. That's the first time we saw We Are the World, Michael Jackson, singing for Ethiopia to feed them, to feed those guys. Then they had the revolution. They had these new guys come and do market-driven economy, the market-driven economy. If you can plot the growth in Ethiopia, you will see that once the market went into a market's footing, the economy changed. Ethiopia is now the fastest growing economy, not just in Africa, but in the world. Not just in Africa, but in the world. Ethiopia, from feeding people that are dying from poverty. Look at where they are right now. They've got a light trail up running. They've got a commodity exchange for their coffee. They've got massive exports of textiles, where they're basically bringing Chinese folks to building acres and acres of, st- of, of, of factories that do exports. Most of the clothes you wear that you buy in, in the abroad are made in Ethiopia. They sold them in Ethiopia with cheap labor through African Growth Opportunity Act, export them to the U.S. That's a clear example of a country that's gone from Marxist, socialist, government pricing, government policy to market-driven and has changed itself. On the flip side, look at Venezuela. They went from market-driven economy Largest crude oil reserves on Earth. Venezuela has more crude oil reserves than Saudi Arabia. Largest crude oil reserves on Earth. The country was booming. They had a socialist coming and say, no, we're going to turn our country to communism. We're going to magnet prices. We're going to fix it. We're going to give money to the poor. Sounds familiar. And what's happened to Venezuela? They can't import toilet paper. Largest economy, crude oil reserves on Earth. They can't afford toilet paper in Venezuela. So when you artificially try to create a market to say one naira is going to be one dollar or to say one dollar is going to be 463, you are distorting the market. What's happening right now are pains in Nigeria. When a woman gives birth, it's painful because you're going to get, I don't want to say joy, I don't want to put Nigeria in that same category. But what we were doing in the past was wrong. We were creating an economy that if people could go get a location of dollar and become billionaires. Same thing with PMS. You import PMS to the port, you quote whatever you like at the port, you take your PMS and sell to Cameroon, you make billions. We were paying the tax. What we thought was a subsidy is us paying the tax for the 463 and also the cheap, in quote, uh, petrol. What they've done now is what any economist that has given them advice would do. Buhari got the same advice. He didn't do it. That's why his economy crashed and he had to print $31 trillion just to pay salaries. It's going to be painful, but we are doing the right thing. What the government does next is up to them. This one they've done is the framework that you can build on. What they do next is going to be failure or whatever on their own part. They haven't said anything about palliatives. The president is going to France. They haven't said anything about how they will cushion the effect. And that's where this policy will either um, prosper 
or would fail. If poor people can't afford to buy food, what do you want them to do? Even if the policy is good. And that's what they have to address. The poor people must be able to buy food. They can't buy food if they don't have money. You can't increase fees by 300% on the back of good policy. So we've got to fix that. So more. I hope I answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank, th thank you so much. So we'll just, you know, wait on the outlook. So, but I really do appreciate um, how thoughtful your comments are. You know, I was just hitting you on the timeline, doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. We'll just take one more question from Dumebi, and that will be, so that way we keep to time and we let everybody go back to their busy schedule. So Dumebi, please come up. Oh, I said she had disappeared. Um, we've taken two questions from guys. Just want one more, one more woman, and then we'll be done. Okay, B, can you go up, please? Hi, um, Tosin. Please confirm you can hear me. I can hear you perfectly well. Okay, thank you so much for this space. Um, so I had a question, and it was I think about what Daya was saying, and he was saying stuff like we should or employees should ask for raises from their employers but on the other hand he was also saying oh he understands that small businesses might have to call people and i was kind of wondering what the reconciliation is being that or now that we know that electricity is going up like the tariff we also know that um wages are not necessarily determined by inflation but by the demand and supply of labor for which nigeria has like a very large supply of labor I was wondering, like, is it a good advice to ask um, employees? I mean, I mean, it's something that they can try, but is it something that would necessarily amount to anything, seeing that these um, businesses are also um, incurring costs that they might not be able to cover? All right. Can I throw that question to you, Mo? Mo, you've, you're a lawyer. You've dealt a lot with employees, with employers and all of that. I feel like you talk <laughs> from a more objective angle. So I want to throw it to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're putting me on the spot. But I hope that none of my employees are here. I'm going to try to be honest about this. So you know what? We actually sent a message today just around, you know, to everybody at work. And we told them, I'm oh, very honest. And I think that that's where a lot of businesses have to be, right? And that email said, we're still trying to figure out what this means for us as a business. And in the meanwhile... We, we've, we did a short measure of like giving, increasing the petrol stipends that we give um, some of our staff by 50%, right? We could easily do that because we looked at the books and we said, this is something we could do in the short term, right? And then we told them and said, see, we're still looking at this thing. We're still trying to figure out what it means for us as a business. And it might mean that we would have to make some adjustments some substantial adjustments in the future, um, but this is what we can do right now. And honestly, as a small business owner, my staff strength is about 19, I think, um, you know, less than 20. And as a small business owner, I think what, are you, what you can do really at this particular point is really just be honest with your people. People are telling you that you need to increase wages, but the reality of it is that you might not be able to increase wages um, right, right away. I'll give an example. Like my own business, for instance, right, we deal in legal services. And legal services is, is an interesting one because it's not something that people view as... Um, you know, um, as something that is, you know, um, that is paramount to their survival, even if it is, right? So a lot of businesses kind of 
departise legal services when they are trying to, you know, fix austerity measures and all of that. So for us, we understand the distribution waterfall and we understand where we fall. And I just think that as a small business person, you know, um, trying to manage your business, the first thing you can do is just be honest with your people. Look at your numbers and look at your numbers very critically, right? And say, what is, what's, the, what's the immediate relief I can afford? Even if it's an extra 10% on some stipends that you give, I would say do that first of all, because it shows two things. It shows, number one, that you care which I think is very important and people want to know that they're in an organization that cares for them. That's very important because that's more long-term thinking, right? And a lot of our people are, hope, um, you know, thankfully very long-term thinking with us. A lot of our people have been with us from the beginning when we started four years ago. So, you know, very, very long-term thinking people. And then the second thing also is that it shows that you're thinking about the situation, right? You are saying that, oh, you know what, what exactly does this mean for us? And this is something that you care about. So I think those two things are very important. And I would say, be patient, look at, look, look at how things are evolving and how things are evolving for your industry. Now, another thing we're also looking at on the business side is also trying to look at the opportunities that are that might present themselves right locally and mostly internationally and say hey is there anything that as a business we can export somebody was talking about exports and was like okay you know what we have local knowledge of the legal landscape in you know a, a couple of countries in africa is this something that we think that there there's a market for outside of the continent where we can gain even more fx revenue and that's another thing that we're also looking at again as a business you also want to think about like your real re, your recurring revenues i think at this point make the most sense so if there are people if there if there are lines in your business where you think that okay you know what you can create recurring revenues from i think you should just key those in immediately so for us we're looking at those and as a legal business of course you know what what that means for us is our retainers then you need to look at your receivables if you have a um long payment cycle like a lot of service providers have i'm speaking as a service provider right you need to now look at how you can shorten them so for us is reaching out to clients and saying that hey you owe us x but if you can pay within xyz um timeline we can give you a concession or we can remove a discount from this. You know, you want to look at that. You know that proverb that they say that uh, one bed in the hand is what's more than two in the bush. At this point in time, that's what I think you need to be looking at. And that's what we are looking at. We're like, okay, all of these monies that we have outside, even if we don't get 100% of them in, can we get 50% in? And I think that's also very critical at this point. But again, as a business owner, it's not practical for everybody because I, I see the comments are like, oh, you need to increase wages and all of that. But it's not practical. It's not immediately practical for a lot of people. But I think just opening, openly um, converse, uh, having that conversation with your people is very, very important. And when people see that you care, I do think that they, they, could, they could be a lot more patient with you. So um, hopefully, Tosin, I was able to answer that. As usual, you killed it. Thank you so much. Sorry, say a big thank you to all of you. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I want to add um, something to what she said. Um, I'm addressing it because she addressed me specifically. So one of the things she said was that, um, you know, as an individual, how do you want to ask for, you know, salary increases? Um, one thing I would always say is... Yes, you look at the labor market in Nigeria and you feel like there's an oversupply of labor, right? Um, if there's an oversupply of labor, you know, um, it's hard to sort of say, you know, salaries will be high. Or, but there's so many different pockets 
of the labor market. We are in the finance industry, right? And one of the things that has been going on in the finance industry is there's nothing like oversupply of labor there because a lot of people are not in the country <laughs> again. And I can see so many of them in this space, right? Which means wages are actually going up because in that particular industry, right, there is an undersupply of high quality, middle management experience labor, right? Um, so you can't apply what goes on in the entire Nigerian market to yourself. Sometimes you can work in an industry where you know that the margins are high. You know, businesses can stretch themselves a bit better to pay better, right? So you can do that. Um, and the second thing in terms of inflation, you know, wages not being tied to inflation. Yes, that is correct. In majority of companies in Nigeria, um, you know, the, there's almost no relationship, right? But over time, what you've also seen is that a lot of the salary adjustments that you see that employers do, even if they don't do that adjustment immediately, sometimes they factor in historical inflation levels um, to ensure that, you know, they do some adjustments for their staff, right? So inflation is disconnected, yes, um, but sometimes they do um, catch up in the end. But now what you need to understand is there's so many factors like destroying purchasing power at the same time, right? The exchange rate is weakening, um, petrol subsidy removed, ex um, electricity prices, you know, going up as well. And so that's why at this particular point in time, even local employers realize that it's challenging, right? And they have to, you know, try and stretch themselves. If you work in an organization um, where, say, a lot of Nigerians will even end up to 100K a month, and if your budget for, for fall or whatever, for whatever reason, whether you're working from home or going um, to, to work, doubles or triples, then some people are in such a dire situation that it's either they resign that job or they get a salary increase. That's the reality. Um, some people have to park their cars Right? That's sort of the realities people are confronting. And yes, we don't mean, you know, when I'm saying this, I don't mean that it is easy um, to do, right? But you have to ask, right? You still have to ask. Um, don't say, oh, because, uh, um, you know, it's a tough environment for everybody. So you're saying you won't ask for more salary. You have to ask. It's just the truth. Um, if it doesn't work out, then you know. Then if you ask, you compel your business owner to address it, to communicate. You know, Mo was saying it's important for businesses to communicate, but we don't believe in a country where, you know, people can, some businesses might not communicate to their employers, right? That things are getting harder, you know, we understand. Um, we can't make a salary adjustment right now, but, you know, we can offer this, we can offer that. But when you complain about this, um, when you ask for more salary, you compel whether it is your manager or, you know, the head of the business to also start thinking in terms of what they can do to just make it, to um, make your lives um, a little easier. So, you know, forget what is happening in the general environment and always ask for what you want. If it's a promotion you want, ask for it. If it's more salary you want, ask for it. It's that simple. All right, great. Thank you so much, Daya, for that contribution. You are absolutely, you know, very, 
very interesting insights. So I just want to thank you so much, Kalu. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. We appreciate you. Thank you for the work that you do. Dio, thank you so much for your contribution. Okay, last comment. Thank you for being a last-minute speaker. <laughs> Kali, go ahead. Last one. You want to say so something? Everything rests on trust, just like the employer, just like the government, right? If you buy a new Range Rover and you tell your employees you can't give them a salary increase, your money will miss. Your money will miss. Same thing with the government. If you fly private just to France, I'm laughing. Right? And you are telling people that you can't give them minimum wage increase, the country will not be the way it is. There's, again, you know, I'm, st I'm stuck between speaking the financial and economic side of this story and also the human side of the story. People are suffering. We had a species yesterday. It was a farmer that called from the north. And he explained how he has to pay his farmers increased money just to put petrol in their motorcycle and come to the farm. This is just the salary increase is just for him to just put petrol in their motorcycles and come to his farm. He's making, so he's selling maize, 10,000 naira a bag. It's going to increase the price. People are suffering. It's not small suffer. People are, are just not doing anything apart from feeding. And you've got to come and say, hey, I hear you. You are suffering. This is what we are doing right. Yes, the economics is right. But the human side of it is that because we hear you, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. If you just keep quiet and say, it's the economics, it's demand and supply, I'm not sure that would suffice. You know, the same way, if you go and buy a Range Rover and you tell your employees that, um, you are doing have your they will steal your money. They will steal your money. So replay that to Nigeria. We have to make you no know, think global, act local. This is economics. Is we're thinking global. We're doing Keynesian theory, demand and supply. But we're going to bring it back home. If families cannot feed on a certain day, what will they do? What will they do? All right. Thanks. Thank you so much, Kali, for that. We have your favorite HR bodies here. I think from an HR perspective, I'd like to hear from him. Please keep it brief. You know, we've helped people here longer than we expected. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I joined pretty late. But yeah, thank you for all the contribution. I honestly think Mo and um, Kalu had said what I wanted to say. I wanted to make a point about the fact that this is actually also eating your HR too. So I don't even think that at this point you have to plead or make a request. I think that your HR should um, be proactively fighting for you, you know, as an employee, because it's not like your HR is exempted from the ripple effect of, you know, everything that is happening right now. So, um, yeah, Mom made a lot of reasonable, you know, um, points. And I love the, what stood out for me most is the part of communication. I think that's like the first thing we also did that, hey, you know, we know this is happening. You can expect this at the end of the month while we figure out, you know, other ways that we can ameliorate the situation. But the point I wanted to make is that at this point, HR should actually be proactively, you know, defending you as a talent and just stating your case to the business and figure, also figuring out how the business can ameliorate, you know, the effect of these multiple economic drastic challenges. Yeah, that's the point I wanted to make. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're so grateful. Once again, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Feel free to share this link with other people. 